The book of Acts chapter 11. The book of Acts chapter 11. Glory to God. So who would like to go first tonight and share some good stuff with us? I have a question. I hope I have an answer. Well, I don't, I don't know if you can answer unless you know Zondervan. Yes, I don't know Zondervan, so I'm <laughs> but, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out why... Well, we know when we read, read the scripture, wherever it's read, it's Jesus, supposedly. Right. It's supposed to be Jesus speaking. And I'm trying to figure out why do they believe that this is Jesus speaking to Peter. It's a good question there, brother. Because if, as detailed as Luke is... Let me just show you how. I'm going to tell you why. I'll tell you what my, my opinion is. My opinion is, and again, this is my opinion. I'm on the record. <laughs> this is my opinion. Um, when you look at the vision that he has, he says, you know, he's, he's, having, he's having this vision. You know, he's, he's in this trance or whatever the case may be. And he's having this vision. He goes and he says, not so, Lord. Speaking of, you know, like he would say to right. Jesus Christ. But I don't think that that's necessarily the only reason, but I think it's because in verse 19 of chapter 10, it says, while Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. And so Luke makes a distinction in that, you know, in, in that scripture showing, OK, you know, here is, you know, one thing he's talking to the Lord. And then over here is saying the spirit. So I, that, that's just my opinion. Right. That, that's why I would think that they're concluding that. But that would just be a right. But but here's the thing that I can go with that. Yeah. But here's the thing. Luke is extremely detailed, and I'm going to show you how detailed he is. In chapter 10, he tells of the animals, right? Right. Well, in chapter 11, he adds another category, wild beast. Right. Right? That is detail. Right. From one chapter to another, he's showing you, okay, this is what he saw, and then this is what Peter said, adding the wild beasts to the, the right. animals that were in that, that sheet, that cover, whatever it was, the four corners. Right. He adds it just to show you how detailed it is. And I'm thinking that if it was Jesus, then Luke would have said, and Jesus spoke to the same way you had the Paul uh, and Damascus situation. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But again, it's my opinion also. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, you know, I like I said, the only the, the only the only thing that I can conclude as to why they would assume, you know, it was the Lord is just because the voice Peter had heard the voice of the Lord before, and he responds, "Not so, Lord." The same way that, um, you know, the same way that Paul did, and I think I, I mean I'm not totally sure, but I think it was the same situation. Obviously, Paul didn't see the Lord; he heard the voice of the Lord, and he right. said, "You know, who are you, Lord?" So I think that that's that that to me would be the only logical explanation as to you know if I was doing this that's probably why I would you know why they would do it and just because like you're saying he's detailed and he points out specifically the spirit spoke to him in the second portion so I would, you know I'm imagining that that would be it but again that's just my guess on the situation in my opinion can't guarantee it we're going to send Zondervan an email tomorrow right. and be like listen we just need to get some clarification here on this I think particular it would be topic safer. right. Just to leave it in right. black writing, right. especially since Jesus Christ had already ascended and now we're in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. Right. And Paul was a special special situation. Right. You know, I mean, it would be safer just to leave it in black writing and then nobody would ask that question. I agree. 
I agree, I agree. <laughs> it's the translators when you in some in some, in some Bibles and in some Bibles and some in some translations you'll find in chapter eleven and you even find it in chapter ten, but in chapter eleven, verse nine, you'll see there where it says, But the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. In verse 7, you know, rise, p Peter, kill, and eat. And those are in red. And we know that from going in the, in, in the gospel, anytime that Jesus spoke, anytime that Jesus made a statement or they're quoting Christ, they always put it in red just so that way they can separate that. So that's what he's talking about. Yeah, you have the wrong Bible. Got to get it. I'm just trying to But it has red in it. It just no, no, you got the, then you have a better Bible than than the rest of us. Your Bible's better. Hers is better. It's a better better interpretation, or better translation, should I say? Oh, no. that's just your Bible. That's just the she she said no red. Stuff that Jesus said. No red. All right. Right. Yeah, it's just, it's some of them. I have my study Bible actually, the cheaper of the Bibles because I didn't have all the money to buy the more expensive one, but the cheaper one didn't have the red lettering. So some of the Bibles, you know, they, they won't have it in there. Or like Anna's Bible, she has read in other places, but there she doesn't. So she's got the more accurate one. So what 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 version is that? Mine's New Living Translation. Yeah, that's the wrong version, but I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. It's good. It's good. No, no, it's it it, it, it is English. It's okay. I, I I'm cool I'm cool with the New Living Translation as long as you're not um I, what I don't like the New Living Translation for is scripture memorization. I think right. that you should go to like New King James or whatever. I know, I know that. But it's just because you got to remember the New Living Translation, the difference between the New Living Translation and something like the New International Version or the New King James Version or the King James Version is that the King James Version, you know, New International Version and these versions of the Bible, what their goal is in their translation is word for word translation. So basically what they're doing is they're going directly from the Hebrew, the Aramaic, or the Greek, and they're giving you a word for word. They're doing their best to do it. And, you know, obviously, you know, those languages are kind of tough, but, you know, they're doing their best to do that. Where the New Living Translation, what the New Living Translation does um, is it doesn't, it doesn't translate word for word. It translates more of the thought that is going into what's being said. So, personally, I like the New Living Translation as a secondary. Like, if you don't want to go to a commentary, but you want to, you know, kind of need a little bit of help to understand certain stuff, it's going to help you. You know, I was telling, I think I was telling Dawn about it when I was, um, one time I was in my car and my brother's Bible was in the back seat and it was a New, Li New Living Translation. And I grabbed it out of the back seat and I started to read something that the Apostle Paul was saying. And I had never understood clearly what the Apostle meant. And by me reading that, I understood that. But I think for scripture memorization, you should definitely go to, you know, another version that's more of a word for word, just because you get, you know, a little bit more on that level. Pastor Robert. Um, also, for um, being able to study, you can get the, the principle, you can right. get the meat of it. But if you want to study, there is no concordance that's going to coincide with that type of Bible. Right. Yeah. But it's good. I mean, like, like I said, I mean, it's it's all right. You know, it's, it's, you know, Jesus is the one that gets you to heaven, not the you know translation of your Bible. So that's important. Go ahead. It does it does it does it does in one sense. Like I said, it takes away like if you're like a person like you know you really like that you know real in depth stuff. It's going to take away from that. You know, you're going to miss some of those things. But it adds something. You know, when you're reading it because it gives you it, it gives you that translation. But I like you know personally, like I said, I would do both. 
if I was, you know, if it, if it was up to me. And they do have Bibles that are, um, what are they called? Well, do you remember what they're called? Parallel Bibles. And the Parallel Bible are really nice because what they have is they have like the, the um, King James Version, New King James Version, and then the New Living Translation. So you don't have to turn a page. You can just read directly and get all three, and it, you know, helps you in your study time as well. So very important that, you know, we know some of these tools there, but that's the deal. All right? All right, back to chapter 11. Praise the Lord. Got a little exhortation there on Bibles and translations. That's good stuff. Come on, somebody give me some help. Give me some help here. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> you know, that's crazy. And then also, I like the, the ending part of it because it, it, it was kind of like what Anna said, or, or kind of like a little bit of repeat of ten. But at the end, how he said, um, the brethren, you know, each and in their own ability, went out because they knew it was going to be a famine, and they went out to help. And I think that you know, we need to all find our ability and help. You know, whether here or at work or in your families, and and just. Whatever God has given you to kind of go out there and, and be a part of that body. Amen. Very good. Sister Grace. First Peter, yeah. Very good. I like, I like, I like, I like what he said. He 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 says, and the disciples were first called Christians. 
He didn't say someone who said a prayer was called a Christian. He said the disciples were first called Christians. And very important, that, that word Christian is, you know, a two-part word, Christianos, you know, and the, you know, Anos part, you know, means to belong to. And, and it wasn't really a, um, it wasn't real. it wasn't a word of derision, meaning that it wasn't necessarily speaking down to them. But what he was saying is that you guys are part of Christ. You guys belong to Christ. And so that's what, was, that, that's what they were communicating. That's what they were saying. They were saying, oh, the, those are the ones that belong to Christ. You know, those are the ones that have demonstrated this devotion to Christ. These are the ones that are really, con- you know, that, that are really committed. So that's what they were, they, they were showing. It wasn't just because, you know, they went to a church, but it's because their overall lifestyle demonstrated. You were having a conversation with these folks, and you know what? They might have talked about something else, but they were going to always bring it back to Jesus, you know? You were, you know, talking about, you know, a God or religion. There wasn't none of this stuff today, you know, just being politically correct and just don't say nothing to offend no one. No, they were like, nah, sorry, you got the wrong, you know, the wrong revelation over there. And so that was the, you know, that that was how these people were. I mean, you got to remember again, you know, let's think about it. You know, they were in a situation where when they gave their life to Christ, there was still persecution going on big time. You know, there was a chance that they were going to be disowned by their family. There was a chance that they could have been killed, you know, because of this nation. I mean, there was a lot that went on to becoming a Christian. It wasn't just, you know, the, the hardest part. Let me tell you the hardest part to becoming a Christian today. I'm going to tell you what it is. The hardest part to becoming a Christian today is raising your hand and walking down the aisle. That is the hardest part in, in, in our modern Christianity. That is the most difficult part to becoming a Christian, to be getting, to get over the embarrassment of, oh my goodness, am I the only one raising my hand in here? You know, and th- th- that's the hardest part, you know? You know how many times, and, and, I, and I don't say this, you know, to be critical or whatever, but you know how many times I'm preaching, and after I'm done preaching, you know, I do the little calling if I'm maybe going to call someone to the front, you know, or whatever, or ask you to raise your hand. You know how many times I watch people, now, and, and I see it, I can see this this person wants to raise their hand and they won't raise their hand as soon as someone else's hand pops up and I see I see the hand boom that hand jumps up this hand and all of a sudden hands go like popcorn all over the place right and and so the thing is what's the embarrassment I mean we're responding to our Savior you know we're responding to our Lord but that is the most difficult thing today about becoming a Christian is to get over that embarrassment crazy these people are, are gonna lose their lives people are gonna disown them you know you think about it they can lose their jobs folks could decide you know what? I don't want to deal with you no more. You ain't dealing with none of that most of the time. I mean, in most situations, you know, some situations, yeah, that may be the case. But in most situations, that's not what's going on. And so most definitely, you know, I think we use the, or, or should I say, the term Christian has been watered down big time, you know, in, in our present, you know, culture in the United States of America. Because now you go to other places and it ain't that way. You know, you go to other places and yeah, it's still the same thing. I mean, you will, you know, you go to these countries that are, you know, 90% Muslim and stuff like that. Oh yeah, you go on ahead and say you're a Christian over there and it's a different scenario. You really are making a choice and taking a stand for Christ. You know, you go to these communist places and it ain't like that. You know, you will get killed for your faith. That's a totally different scenario. So very important that we understand that and that, you know, we check ourselves to make sure that we're not just being those watered down Christians. Amen. All right. Somebody else. Give me something before I go. I got three more minutes before I, I enter into my dissertation on chapter 11. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Nobody? I like, I like chapter, uh, verse 18. 18, all right. Yeah, where, uh, where they were so glad to accept these people into the faith. 
because they thought it was for them only. And all of a sudden, God has granted a different type of people uh, salvation. Right. Right. And they, it, it says it there, they did it gladly because they were worshiping God. Right. Amen. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Beginning in verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from beginning, saying, and before we move on, we see here, the Apostle Peter, he, he is in this moment where he has just experienced something great, something glorious, wonderful, powerful situation has just occurred. He just went and witnessed. He's preaching the first time he's ever been preaching. People, you know, being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Amazing situation. And he comes back into the religious community and they're like, you know, yelling at the guy, you know, just upset with him. And, you know, it, it makes me think, you know, have you have have we ever been excited about something, you know, just stirred up about something that we know God is doing in us or God is doing through us. And we bring it to someone to, you know, celebrate with them. And it's like they just shoot us down, you know, just ultimately just shoot us down, you know, and that's going to happen. You know, sometimes you got to realize this. There are times that you are and, and I'm going to say this as a leader there are times that you, as a person who is not a leader, are sometimes being dealt with on a, on a level or in a certain way that the leadership is not being dealt with. And it happens, okay? And you come to leadership and you communicate with them. And you know what? I'm gonna, but we, we, we're going to get into how to deal with that. But when you come to the leadership and you communicate those things, you got to realize that there's a way to deal with, you know, those situations. Don't get upset and be like, oh, you know, forget these people. You know, they don't love God. You know, whatever. You know, they're blind. You know, all this craziness that goes through our head. We got to know how to deal with this stuff. But that's what was happening to Peter. Peter goes, has this wonderful experience. He comes back. He's going to testify to tell them he's thinking everybody's going to be rejoicing and instead they're like dude you went and ate with these people are you kidding me i mean what kind of christian are you what kind of man of god are you and so the scripture goes on to tell us it says that peter begins to explain this to them verse five it says i was in the city of joppa praying and in a trance i saw a vision an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners and it came to me when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, No. I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment... Three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, the, moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call to Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Now, we'll stop there, because in his excitement what does he do 
Peter comes and he doesn't just, you know, just be like, man, y'all, you, you know, you guys are just, you know, stiff necked. You guys are just religious. You guys are blind. He doesn't do that. And I want to say something in parentheses, so to speak. You know, we got to cut these guys some slack. OK, these were Jewish believers. All right. They didn't have the book of Romans. They didn't have the book of Galatians. They didn't have the book of Ephesians. They didn't have any of this stuff yet. They only they didn't even have the gospels yet. All they had were the apostles and the prophets that were there to begin to do what? This is a foundational time. And so what are they doing? They are simply trying to preserve the integrity of the church. They're simply trying to preserve the integrity of Christ. And so what? So he, they, they question him. And so what does Peter do? He goes on ahead and Peter was confident in his experience because what? The first thing. The first thing we have here is we have the first witness that Peter gives. And what is it? It's the witness of this vision. He communicates to them about his vision and he communicates to them about the vision that Cornelius had. And so he's sharing with them, okay, this is the first witness that I'm going to give you is, is, is this first part of the whole thing. I had a vision and at the same time that I had this vision, right when it was done, these three men showed up and so then the Holy Spirit told me to go with them. He moves on and he communicates and I'm not going to go through all of these things in the vision because obviously we went over that last week. But in verse 15, it says, as I began to speak, so after they, he, um, he hears from Cornelius, as he begins to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon, uh, as upon us at the beginning. Okay, let's stop. So the first witness that he gives to them is the vision that he has. The second witness that he gives to them in, 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 in validating what was going on here is the witness of the Spirit. Because what does he say? He says, you guys remember when we were in the upper room. You remember what happened to us, right? We were up there. We were praying. Holy Spirit came down. We began to speak in tongues. He says the same exact thing. And it's not just me by myself telling you this. But these six witnesses, these six Jewish guys, you know, these six circumcised guys, these guys right here, they were with me. And they saw, they were amazed because they saw them experiencing the same exact thing. I didn't lay hands on them. All I was doing was speaking the word of God. So the first witness we have is the vision. The second witness we have is the spirit of God. And then he goes down in verse 16 and he says, Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, we see the first witness of the vision. We see the second witness is the Spirit. And what is the third witness? The third witness is the very Word of God. And so when he came to them with this new revelation, when he came to them with this, with this explanation, he didn't come to them with just his emotion. He didn't come to them just with a vision. He didn't come to them just with the Spirit. No, he came to them with the balance of the Word of God, the very words that Jesus spoke. He's saying, look, this is what happened. So I got this vision. The Spirit of God testifies. And then when the Spirit of God was doing something, guess what? The Word of God was brought to my remembrance, just like Jesus said it would be, and I remember that Jesus said this was going to happen. So in other words, he's communicating and he's showing us something. This is for us today. What it, what it means to us today, you got some new revelation, you need to make sure that you got the witness of the Spirit and you got the witness of the Word of God. That's it. Someone comes to you with some revelation and all this and that, you need to make sure that that witness has the witness of the Spirit because they're going to say they had a vision or they got a revelation or whatever. Okay, that's wonderful. But is the witness of the Spirit there? And is the witness of the Word of God there and if it is not there you put it on the shelf amen very important that we understand this Peter didn't get upset 
He didn't go and say, you know, forget these guys. I'm going to go and start another church over here. That isn't what he did. He went ahead and he communicated with them and he showed them, listen, this is exactly what happened. Verse 17, it says, is, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? So Peter's saying, look, guys, you, we seen in the vision. We sing it in the spirit. We sing it in the words that Jesus said. Who am I? Who are, in other words, not just who am I, who are you? Who are we to withstand God? God decided to fill these people with his spirit. The reason why I went over there was because they needed to know the way of salvation. Obviously, we know that God is not just going to pour into someone's life unless they did what? They believed. And so we understand that this is what occurred. I was no one to deny that. Verse 18 shows the response. See, when you really have these guys, and this is why I say we got to cut them some slack. Because when they heard the three witnesses and they heard Peter's communication and explanation of why he went to go and minister to these Gentiles, why he went over there and everything that happened, these these demonstrated that they truly had a heart after God because they didn't go and get all, you know, proud and all. I don't want to hear none of that stuff. That isn't what they did. What does the scripture say? The scripture says when they heard these things, they became silent. So what did they do? They had nothing else to say. What were they going to say? They, they heard the witness and they said, okay, they had nothing to say. But what, they, what was the next thing? They glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Very important scripture for us to understand that when we pray for those people that do not know Jesus, we need to pray that God would grant them repentance. God has to grant us anything when it comes to salvation. If God does not grant it to us, look, it is never going to happen. Salvation is not a work of man. It is a work of God. Therefore, when we're praying for people who don't know the Lord, it's got to be granted by the Lord. And so we can beg God and, and cry out to him that he will grant them this salvation. Moving on from that moment there, now the, now the scene changes, not just for, um, away from what is going on here with Peter and his explanation. And around the same time, this is what is going on in the church abroad. So now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, or better translation is spoke to the Greeks, because these weren't Jews, spoke to the Greeks preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turn to the Lord. <clears throat> I want to go back because I just remembered something. One thing also that we need to understand here that we see in this explanation from Peter is that Peter had a good testimony among these people. Okay, this is very important because you got to recognize this. When Peter is explaining this to them, he is making a crystal clear picture for them. He's saying, listen, you guys know me. I was not the kind of guy, I have never eaten anything unclean. I've never broken any of the Jewish laws. I've never been that way. And so our testimony becomes vital to us being able to communicate stuff. Because here's the thing. If Pastor Robert were to tell me, you know what? I was out at Church Street in front of some club and I was witnessing, right? And, and I went out there and I was witnessing. I wouldn't even question it at all. Someone could, and, and it probably would happen this way. Pastor Robert wouldn't come and tell me because he's just going doing the work of the Lord. Holy Spirit led him to do it. He goes out there and does it. But then somebody else who was out in Church Street, mm -hmm, not doing the right thing, maybe coming out of that club or something like that, will say, you know, I saw Pastor Robert at the club. Mm-hmm. And so Pastor Robert comes and communicate. I'm not going to question Pastor Robert. You know, are you going back into the world here, brother? Back to, it ain't nothing like that. 
I'm going to know what? Because of his testimony, because of who he is, because he is a changed man, because he has demonstrated this. Well, now when I hear his words and he gives these witnesses, then guess what? We're going to see something. But you know what? I, we got to point this out. There is a fruit to that labor. And, and this is the other thing that we got to see, that when you are really spirit-led for something of that nature, there is going to be fruit, and, and going to, there's going to be something that is going to happen as a result of the hand of the Lord, because Peter didn't just have this vision, and you know, and just, oh, well, I'm going to go over here and just preach, and then maybe someone got saved. That isn't what happened. There was fruit that followed that obedience to what the Spirit of God was saying. And so understand how important your testimony is. Understand how, how important it is. The Bible says clearly that we are to know those who labor among us, and so we need to to know each other accountability is something that is vital within the body of Christ we've got to have that and that way when these you know when God is leading us to new dimensions and, and, and new levels and new endeavors of reaching lost people and notice that was the focus the focus was reaching the lost that was it it wasn't anything else it was reaching out to those who did not know Christ and so it's very important that we notice that now when we look at the, this other portion of scripture here we find that this persecution that took place and we remember a few chapters back I believe it was chapter 7 um is when Stephen was stoned. You remember that story when Stephen was out there and he was preaching that hardcore message, telling them that they're stiff-necked and all this stuff, and then the people were cut to the heart, and instead of them repenting, they grind their teeth, they picked up stones, and they killed the guy, and he looks up into heaven, and he says, you know, I see the Lord, and Father, forgive him, and all of that. Well, as a result of that, we remember that there was this persecution that rose against the church. Saul was the leader of that persecution, and as he's leading that persecution, there's something that happened. That, that whole persecution led to the spreading out of the disciples. So now what, what God is doing is he's showing us what has occurred. Now, I want you to know that this is not, you know, back, this is not like the next week after this occurred. No, this is almost 10 years later, and I'm going to show you how we can prove that toward the latter part here. But what we find is that this, this, um, these people spread out. And what I love about this is this begins to give us a picture of now it's not just the leadership preaching, but now it is the people are going out there and preaching. These people were in Jerusalem, they were hearing the word of God, they were being taught the word of God for a period of time, I'm not exactly sure how long it was, but they were there in Jerusalem getting the word of God, being filled with the spirit of the Lord, and they didn't just, you know, get fat or whatever, no, but when they went out, what did they do? They began to preach, and the scripture tells us something that is awesome, in verse 21, it says, and the hand of the Lord was with them, in other words, there was evidence that God was with these people. And this is something that we need to pray about. And I looked up the references. And if you have a Bible that gives you some references, it's going to refer you probably to like the book of Luke chapter 1, verse 66, somewhere around there. And it tells you about John the Baptist. And you know what it says? It says all of these things, what kind of child will he be? And it says, and the hand of the Lord was upon him. The hand of the Lord was upon John the Baptist. Why do I bring this up? Because John the Baptist, Jesus said it himself. He never worked the Sign, he never worked a wonder, but the hand of the Lord was upon him. Why do I bring that up? Because I firmly and wholeheartedly believe that God wants to move mightily and he wants to work signs and wonders through his people. But what is more important than any sign or any wonder is that the hand of the Lord is upon us and that as we live our lives and as we're out there sharing the gospel, that the spirit of God is penetrating through to the hearts of the people who we're sharing it with. And that will not happen unless the hand of the Lord is upon our life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Very, very important that we realize that these 
people were not just idols sitting by Christians. No, they were Christians that had a mission and they understood, you know what, we're disciples of Christ and what were we taught? It was very, very simple. The disciples made disciples. We are disciples. So what do we got to do? We got to make disciples. And the only way that you or I are going to make disciples is by doing what? Winning lost people to Christ. Amen, somebody? Very, very important stuff. And so we find here the hand of the Lord was upon them and a great number. It wasn't just a few folks. It was a great number of people believed and didn't just believe, but they turned to the Lord. And I love the emphasis there because there's plenty of folks that will believe. I was talking to someone and they were telling me about a guy, um, <clears throat> you know, that, that he, he believes in the Bible and he believes, you know, um, in, 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 in God and all of that stuff, but he doesn't believe in religion. Now, I have, I have trouble understanding how could it be possible and when he talks about not believing in religion, it is more that he doesn't believe in having to go to church. That's what, that's what people most of the time mean when they talk about not believing in religion because when you, if you really believe in God, okay, if you really believe in the Bible, how on the earth do you read this Bible and not see that you need to get together with other Christians? I, I, I don't know how you could miss that unless you're not reading it, which is usually the problem, okay? That folks are not reading scripture. But anyway, you know, this person believes, but they're not turned to the Lord. Because when you turn to the Lord, the Lord is going to show you, you know, around the book of Hebrews, do not forsake the gathering together of the saints as, as the custom of some. Uh-huh. So we understand that it's very, very important that people don't just believe, but that they turn to the Lord. But that is the result of what? It is the result of the hand of the Lord being upon us. And then the scripture goes on to say, then the news of these things came to the ears of the church church in Jerusalem. Now, mind you, this is almost 10 years later that the, you know, the word gets to the church in Jerusalem, to the headquarters church. This word comes back and says, yo, we got a Holy Ghost revival happening over here. There's something going on. These people spread out and they are preaching the word and, and people are getting saved. You know, houses are being filled. And now, you know, we got to do something to go and minister to the church. So what do they do? It says when this news gets there, and they send Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is a great person because Barnabas is one of those Hellenistic Jews. He's one of those. And so they send him to go over there to go as far as Antioch. The Bible says in verse 23, it says, when he came and had seen the grace of God. Wonderful point as well. He saw something. The grace of God is something that is visible. It is something that you can see working in people's lives. You can tell. Look, I don't, I don't know, you know, how to explain it in all, you know, seriousness. But what I do know is that you can tell when someone is really saved, man. You can tell when God is working on someone. Why? Because his grace is visible in their life. You can see it. Not, maybe not, you know, it may not be the way they pray. It may not be. It's just, it's just there. And so what does Barnabas do? He comes. He sees the grace of God. And what did he do? He was glad. He was like, glory to God. We see the grace of God moving. And so he does what he's good at because he's an encourager. And it says, and he encouraged them all with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. Or that word continue means to cling to the Lord. In other words, he's saying, you know what, guys? I see the grace of God working in your life. I see that, you know, you guys are passionate. You guys are devoted to getting together. You guys are devoted to preaching. But you know what? The only way that this is going to continue is if you cling to Christ. If you cling to him in a relationship and you allow his grace to continue to work in you. So he encourages them and lets them know what is what is required of them and what they need to do. In verse 24, gives us his resume basically. says, for he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Isn't that all we need in the church? We just need some good people who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith and they will do great and wonderful things because the scriptures go on to tell us here that and a great many people were added to the Lord. 
He's over there. He's, he's coming here and he's ministering to these churches. And even more people are coming to Christ just because he's a good man, meaning he's a righteous man. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with faith. And the power of God is manifesting. And it's wonderful. Verse 26, we're going to be reintroduced to Saul. And it says, and when he had found him, or I'm sorry, verse 25, it says, then Barnabas departed to Tarsus to seek Saul. Now, Saul has been gone for a few years now. You remember before when he went over there to Jerusalem for those 15 days? He's in Jerusalem. As he's in Jerusalem, the scripture tell us that they wanted to kill the guy and so the church said okay you know we're going to have to send you back to Tarsus to your hometown so Paul you know is back in Tarsus and we know that Paul was not just sitting in his house you know twiddling his thumbs waiting for someone to call him we know that was not happening according to church tradition it was during these years that he founded a whole bunch of churches that were over there and that were you know being ministered to so this wasn't an easy task but Barnabas goes and he says you know what I need to go and get Saul why does he get Saul Got to remember where Barnabas was. Barnabas was in the middle of the Gentile church. There was nobody else who was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles except Paul. And so he knew this. And so he said, you know what? It's been six, seven years. I'm, And it's so wonderful that he knew. It was like there was no question that this guy was persevering in the Lord. There was no question. It wasn't like, you know, I wonder if he's still serving God. It wasn't nothing like that. This guy went on a manhunt and said, I got to find him because I got to bring him back to this church. Verse 26 says, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So he brings him back to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples. Disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so it shows me that the Apostle Paul, remember, this guy, it's at this time that they're called, um, you know, they're called the, the, the they're, they're called Christians. So the Apostle Paul, remember how passionate he is, right? You remember how devoted he is. So now he comes back and he's like, all right, you know what? We're going to be even more devoted. We're going to be even more passionate for a whole year. What is he doing? All they're doing is laying foundation in these people's lives, building them up in their faith, teaching them to grow up in Christ, showing them the ways of the Lord more clearly and more directly. And so for a whole year, these people were in this intensive mentoring program. Glory to God. They had phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, five. They had all the phases. Glory to God and they were being built up and so faith don't got them phases for you too hallelujah and so we we, we, we we see this church growing in this way they stood there for a year and they did their job we go on to verse 27 and it says in these days it says prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch one wonderful thing here, we get introduced to the fact that in the church, 10 years later, there are still prophets, not just one prophet, but there are prophets in the church. And there are prophets that are there to share the word of God, to be inspired by God and give some direction to the church as necessary. Verse 28 says, then one of them named Agabus stands up and showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. When the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea, this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hand, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, first of all, I want to point out to you, how do we get timelines within our, within our Bibles? How do we know 10 years, five years and all this kind of stuff? You see what he said here? Remember, remember, remember Luke, great, wonderful. He'll just drop little nuggets for you to be able to piece stuff together, right? Look what he says here in verse 20, in verse 28. It says, and one of them 
named Agabus stood up and showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now, Claudius Caesar is an actual person, right? He's an actual ruler that ruled. And so there is, guess what? History on his time of ruling. And they know that he ruled between like 41 and like 54 AD. So that gives us a timeline of when this happened. Now, when you go into Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, he writes and he communicates about a famine that occurred in Jerusalem, which would be Judea, a famine that occurred that was so bad that people were dying because of a lack of food. And so we know because of history that this right here was around that 41, 42, 43, 45, somewhere around that period is where this whole famine took place. So then that's how we get to know how, you know, where we are as far as the chronology of the church in the book of Acts, which is wonderful. So if we just get to know a little bit of history, then guess what we can do? We can be like, yep, that's exactly correct. This is where we are. So real simple, breaks it down for us, shows us that this thing occurred. It also confirms to us, because it gives a bunch of things there, gives us an ability to learn the timeline, gives us an ability to find out what, you know, when these things occurred, but it also shows us that this is the signs of a true prophet. Praise the Lord. A true prophet is going to come and they're going to say, thus says the Lord, this is what's going to happen. And see, this is why it's dangerous. Let, 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 me, let me just say this. It is dangerous if you did not hear a date from the Lord to put a date on something. Very dangerous because when you put a date on something, this is what you do. You mark yourself because now I said, thus says the Lord. And two years from now. You're going to be married. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. Two years from now, come. You still ain't married. You still broke. You still messed up. What happened? Prophet blames you. Mm -hmm. It's your fault. You didn't apply the principle. <laughs> listen, 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 listen. It is very, very important. But this prophet of God, he says, look, he said, this is going to happen. There is this, this, this famine that's going to take place. And what does the scripture show? The scriptures confirm that this happens exactly as the prophet said. But then we see something else that is important about a prophetic word. Because this true prophet of God comes and he ministers. But we also see something else. We see that the church that heard this word was moved to action. When you hear the preaching of the word, when you hear the prophesying of the word, it is vitally important that you connect yourself in whatever way you can. Notice the prophet did not get up there and said, thus says the Lord, there is a famine that is coming. And the Lord is saying that you guys need to collect an offering so that way you can send it over there. That isn't what happened in that prophecy. What happened in the prophecy is that the spirit of God touched the hearts of the people through that prophetic word. And those people took it personal. Why? Because they looked at the church. They said, these are, this is our mother church. You know, this is where we came from. This is where, you know, all of the revelation came out of. And so we need to act and say, you know what? We shared in the goodness of their spiritual gifts. So now we're going to bless them. And what did they do? They didn't go in this, in this case, they didn't go and sell their homes. They didn't go and sell their cars. They didn't do anything like that. They simply did what? They did what each one could do. What each person could do. Each person took it upon themselves and said, you know what? I can give $50. I can give, you know, $100. I can give $10. I can give whatever. And what did they do? They went and they put it all together. And then they said, okay, Paul, you know, Saul and Barnabas, we're going to send it by your hands. Since you guys have been the primary leaders here, you guys have been the ones that have been respected and the ones who have been honored. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to send you with this and let you bring a good report to the church in Jerusalem. Amen. 
which it becomes vitally important for us to recognize that because it is our responsibility. When we see our brothers and sisters hurting, when we see a need that is there, we should be moved with some type of compassion. When it is, when, when it is a situation that is dire, a situation that is, there, there needs to be something that happens inside of us. And if it doesn't, then we need to check ourselves because I guarantee you that God wants to do something inside of our hearts. And sometimes we're just too caught up in whatever it is to be sensitive enough to what the spirit of God is trying to do so it's important for us to look at this example and and take it for what it says it says each one did according to what he could do god is not asking us to do more than what we can do he's not asking us to give what we don't have he's asking us to give what we do have he's not asking us to do what we can't do he's asking us to do what he has equipped us to do and every one of us has been equipped to do something amen all right let us pray